Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. recording yeah yeah <laughs> hi good day maybe we clap even though it'll probably be off anyway one yeah. two okay. three <laughs> okay hi hello i want to open with one of the harry styles tunes but i feel bad because it's illegally procured yeah so i think yeah, I don't think we can do that. <laughs> we'll get sued we'll get sued by Harry, your worst nightmare. We'll My be like in nightmare. court. I want to open with um, this Maori song that I just heard playing and I, I was trying to listen to Harry's album illegally and then I had to pause it because I heard this song, this really loud song playing and I was like, what is happening? And it's this song that goes... Hi, it am I. Everything is kapai, which means like everything is good. And I was like, Aww. where is this coming from? And then I realized that this Airbnb is across the road from a school. So then I was terrified of these little children sprinting around screaming while we record. But now it's pouring with rain. So they'll be stuck That's inside. That's so cute. Aww. Everything is good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I've been chasing the bad weather around for about three weeks now. Is Sydney really nice right now? I actually haven't even looked outside. I just landed in Sydney last night from Perth for a whirlwind weekend for a wedding. Perth is so nice. Perth was like 20 degrees still (laughs) and sunny. But I think Sydney's a bit cold and rainy. How was it when you were here? Cold and rainy, but the week before it had been beautiful and Mm. Tuscany for two days that I was there, it was cold and rainy and everyone was like, all the farmers were like, oh, we need this rain. It's been a drought. It hasn't been a cloud in the sky for six months. I was like, I'm literally <laughs> going to like strangle myself with this cos lettuce. And then um, I arrived in Sydney and it was pouring with rain and gross. The whole fashion week, the day I left was beautiful sunshine. Arrived back in New Zealand and they say that last week it was really sunny and it's just pouring with rain. 
That's not very nice of the weather. And it's obviously sunny in London right now for the first time in its existence, for the first time since King Henry VIII was around. <laughs> yeah, I have been enjoying actually a little burst of sunshine, warm weather, but it's okay. We'll be back in the summer sunshine very soon. It's so cute being in the same countries as most of our listeners. It feels like it feels different. I don't know how to explain it. It just feels physically so different being here in terms of just what you're across. You're just you talk to your friends more. You're just across what people are talking about more. Your news feed is different. I know it sounds stupid, but you just feel so much more in it. Yeah. One of our listeners, because I always just reply to the DMs on our podcast Instagram, she goes, God, it's wild having you guys on the same time zone. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like that with um, yeah, Instagram? Yeah, kind of. I also had another fan run-in. <gasps> you get I know. all of them. It's, I, I know. It's so weird. And it also always happens when I'm with my friend Rosie. And I was like, this never usually happens. But when I'm with her, it happens, like every single time I'm at a cafe with her, it's really funny. But we went out for dinner and there was a table of like six people, girls and guys, beside us. And then we got up to leave. And this guy, this guy goes, Excuse me, sorry, I just wanted to say I'm a big fan of your podcast. And then I was so shocked. Oh God, and I just I stared him. at him because he was straight or straight presenting. So I was like staring at him, frowning. And then I go, Our one male listener fan found me. And then he goes, No, I'm just joking. They're the fans and the girls. It was the girls. Ah, a little side. But then he goes, oh, but I have listened. He should listen he, he now. Listen. Good. That's so nice. Have you, we're going to do some recs this week. I feel like we haven't done this in a while, but I've been consuming a lot of stupid content. Well, I have one piece of content that has many, many, many episodes. Yeah. Well, I've been on 4,000 planes, so I have lots of recs from the plane. Yes. So I watched Emma, finally, with Anya Taylor-Joy, which I know is like a movie you very much like and I thought that was great I also finally watched the finale I realized for some insane reason I hadn't watched the final the end of the final season of Insecure I think it was coming out week by week and then I just got confused and forgot so I watched the final season of Insecure on the plane which was just heaven on earth because it's watching a show you absolutely love on a plane which is where you're kind of usually like really bored and then I watched the documentary mm. of the um, making of the final season. And I know I've spoken about Issa Rae a lot. And I know I've talked about Insecure a lot. But I just think watching that documentary really reminded me of just how groundbreaking a show like Insecure is. And how groundbreaking she is as someone working in the industry. Um, one of the writers was just like, this is the only writer's room. He's a white man in my entire career where I've been the only white person in the room and he was like and I'm not straight either so there were no like cis white straight men in the room because I kind of I know that Insecure was groundbreaking in the way that they portrayed blackness and black people and just showing like the monolith of just different uh personalities and different kind of just people like there were nerds there's rappers there's lawyers there's rich people there's gangsters and they show that show everyone having such an like humanizing character and they also had mental health storylines which is so important but then like 
behind the scenes, they almost exclusively only used clothes by black women designers. They highlighted these neighborhoods in LA and local black owned restaurants and businesses, which are now thriving. And Issa was like really the mastermind behind it all. So she hired this guy to be, what was it? I think director alongside her. And he was just speaking in the show saying my one main goal in this whole thing was to never take away from Issa's vision because she, she just was behind all of it. And is everyone's, doing their final scenes and doing kind of like a cheers and saying goodbye. Everyone's just highlighting how much of an incredible role model she is and how much she really, really just wants to support her community and how groundbreaking a show like that is for just like millions and millions of young people. I was just crying. Amazing. So I just think we, yeah, because, and even Kendrick Sampson, Mr. Hottie, uh, he was saying, he did the speech. He's so like eloquent and smart and, hot and he did this speech where he said just talking about how art and creativity in this way is just so important to the movement because it's just changing people's Mm -hmm. perceptions in such a massive way without you even realizing it so i just think we cannot downplay her brilliance and i think everyone should watch that show if they haven't already i think when you started watching it it was funny because Everyone, I mean, I've hyped it up, but everyone had hyped it up so much because it went viral in lockdown. And you were like, oh, it's just like, it's just a good, easy to watch show, which it is. It's just like a good, easy to watch show that sometimes makes me laugh out loud. But then I think when you think about all of how groundbreaking it is in all these different ways and the, the backstory... Exactly. And I think so much has changed even since the first season came mm. out where it's like hard to appreciate how groundbreaking it would have felt at the time yeah, it aired. Exactly. Um, because she's paved the way for so many other shows and has made like, yeah, yeah. I think it's incredible. What she's done is incredible. Yeah. And she makes um, me laugh so much. Like, I don't know, just that humor gets me really good. But then I also watched King Richard on the plane. Mm. A controversial watch. watch. The watch really. that uh, <laughs> Will Smith won his first Oscar for. William. <laughs> what? I just never thought of his. I saw you put William in the dock and I was like, who is William? Yeah. William He Smith. won his first Oscar for it moments after the slap. And also when, before I watched this movie, I was like, why is there a movie about, I just <laughs> thought it was so insane that there was a movie about Serena and Venus's dad. I was like, come on. Like, why is it not about Serena and Venus? Why is it about the man involved in their life? But then you watch it and he was a very good dad. And yeah, it's a, it's a great watch. I, I have like this weird soft spot for kind of sports <laughs> dramas. Sport, yeah, they kind of hit like an emotional funny bone. They're just good at, I don't know. But do you think William deserved his Oscar? Was it a good performance? Yeah, great performance. <laughs> All around. Congrats, Congrats. William. Banned from the Academy or, like, stepped down. I don't know. Um, nice. A nice list of options, especially if someone's about to go on a long-haul yes. flight. Oh, and then I couldn't watch one – sorry, I, I couldn't watch one single thing on my flight from Sydney to New Zealand because I decided on the final night of Fashion Week after having the most exhaustive, really busy schedule, so, so tired that my left eye, ladies, is going blind again. <laughs> Tris Sheik. No. We overdid it. We overdid it for sure. And you've overdone it more than me because you went straight into working like hectically back to back. But I've never felt this exhausted 
in my life in terms of just traveling far too constantly oh yeah because we did the <laughs> moving yeah too i was much. like what are we t- what are you talking about but i realized we did the trip and then we did do it and then we did back home and then yeah i went straight into to like yeah. this hectic insane schedule where i went to every single fashion week show which is illegal behavior and then anyway yeah. had all this other illegal. shit to do on top of it but then on the Friday night, I thought instead of going home to get some rest, I would just go out and push the boat out and drink margaritas like there were water. Ended up at some apartment, some man's apartment at like three in the morning, playing some very mm-hmm. funny, weird game where you pick two people who have nothing to do with each other and then try and match them up. So it was like Hitler and like I would love. Yeah, it was to Hitler and like Madonna or something, and they got there and they and they got there in four <laughs> four connections. <laughs> wow that is so yes. impressive madonna we can do this later i don't even but, know um <laughs> anyway so yeah and then i had the and then the i episode. had two i went home at three in the morning i was like okay i was like right the minute you start to feel the tiniest slither of soberness get yourself in an uber and then had to go and pack all my bags and get up for the airport at 6 a.m so the oh blind eye is, is my own fault really it's funny how you have that as, like, an embodiment of your mental health. <laughs> yeah, my stress is so physical. It's crazy. It's, it's like, <laughs> my therapist uses me as a case study. The body keeps the score. The body, the eye keeps <laughs> the, the left score. eye keeps the uh. score. This morning it wouldn't open. I was like, please. <laughs> I'm trying to look <laughs> chic in New Zealand. I'm trying to show everyone how hot I've gotten in the past two years and I'm, I'm blind. Do you need an eye patch? I was at the pharmacy and I saw one the other day and I was going to send you a picture of it, but I forgot. A hard eye patch. Um, okay, so I – have you ever seen The Staircase? Yes, recently. Okay, amazing. So it's obviously the, like, OG true crime doc. I can't even remember when I watched it, but it's on Netflix it's. I think it literally came out 10, 15 years ago and they ke- they keep adding new episodes as new stuff happens. And there's a new dramatization of it with Colin Firth, Tony Collette, Sophie Turner. Wow. Patrick Schwarzenegger, which is random. <laughs> and a couple of other people. And I started watching it with my mom and then we couldn't remember the case properly. So we went back and rewatched The Staircase and it's so long. There's, I think, literally like 18 episodes and some are an hour and a half long it just never ends yeah i watched it this year for some reason it's so addictive because so it's a true crime story about a man whose wife was found dead at the bottom of a staircase and he says that she was drunk and had and like had valium in her system and had gone up this dark stairwell with flip-flops and had fallen backwards and hit her head and other people say that he killed her because she found out he was bi, which feels very retro, but this was 2001, I think. And you watch the documentary and he's this kind of smaller guy. He's very charming and charismatic. He smokes a pipe. He's a writer. He's very kind of woke for the era. And he has a very hot son called Todd. <laughs> so you want to believe him? <laughs> And then there's some episodes where you're like, he's definitely innocent and somewhere you're like, he's definitely guilty and you just flip-flop the entire time. And now they've made this show and I think the show really clearly thinks he's guilty. 
So that's why I had to rewatch it because I was confused. He is guilty. I'm like, also, um, are we all just forgetting the other wife that, or the other woman that was found dead at the bottom of the stairs that he <laughs> that he found prior? I know. In Germany, like 18 years earlier. Didn't they exhume her body and then they found, they said that it was murder? But they were super dodgy, corrupt oh. prosecutors. So the whole thing is just so – That's this is why it's so famous because you watch it and you're like, I can't believe I ever thought he was innocent and he's so obviously guilty. And then you'll watch some other thing and you think, oh, my God, something else. But the new show, I was kind of just like, why do they keep dragging up this story? It's just so horrible to keep revisiting it. But what this new HBO show does so well is it's really kind of a meta-examination of true crime documentaries and how they spin narratives about people. And it's kind of, they play out the different, all the different theories presented in the documentary. They play them out in each, not in each episode, but now there's been two different versions of how she would have died. And it shows you it in real time. And it's really horrible to watch, but Tony Collette is just the most amazing actress. And so it's basically trying to present this collage of all of the different possibilities to give you something resembling what might be true as opposed to a true crime documentary, which is trying to give you a single narrative to latch onto. And it's kind of criticizing the way that the documentary filmmakers got invested in Michael Peterson being wrongly accused and so presented a documentary that was so biased. Mm. Um, as opposed to presenting something that was messy and complicated and nuanced and didn't have any clear answers. Because if you want to tell all sides of the story, he needs to be a really nice, great dad who's wonderful to his kids, but then also possessive, violent, narcissistic, sociopathic. And you can't really present that in one documentary and have it feel satisfying. So the show is quite fragmented. I don't know if I'm explaining that properly, but I just think it's like a really smart take on a really famous story and I really am enjoying it. Ooh, okay, I'm excited There's a to scene where, Tony, where Colin Firth eats Tony Collette's ass. It's crazy. Yuck, I don't want to see I that. Like, damn. No, it's special. It's like elderly <laughs> love. No! <laughs> Colin Firth is like deeply unsexy to me. He's really unsexy in this. He's, like, very unvain. He's got, like, a jowl and he's just very annoying. And he gives a sexy guy a hand job in the video store. <laughs> in the video so, store, vintage. Very 90s. And then the filmmakers, basically the people who made the – there's, like, tea going on about this because the people who made – The Staircase are very respected Academy Award-winning French documentary makers and their editor ended up bussing Michael Peterson while they were making the show. What? And so the HBO series brings that up in episode five as this kind of bombshell showcasing that basically the woman who was editing the whole thing was in love, fell in love with him from Paris from looking at the footage, which is so questionable. Are you joking? And then they had this love affair by, no, it's, and I think people kind of knew it, but the way they present it, you're just like, this is so fucked. And so now all the French filmmakers have come out to Vanity Fair 
and are hating on the HBO documentary, the HBO show, and are saying that they gave the HBO team all this exclusive access and had them over for dinner in France and gave them access to all their archives and they feel so betrayed and they feel like they've been completely blindsided and that the show is really unfair representation. People are so naughty. Like everyone. Women are are fucking crazy. Like this is the shit that we do. Everyone is just, what's it called? What's the thing called where Emily in Paris flew flew the Golden Globe people to Paris. Everyone's just, like, not manipulating, but singing everything. So they're giving them mm-hmm. all the access and then, like, thinking that they're going to get this fair portrayal. And then the HBO show is just being yeah. honest and actually saying what happened and they're losing it. Everyone is so corrupt. I know. Well, everyone just thinks that they're doing – I think people find it really hard to see their own biases – and that's almost what the show is about as well, how these filmmakers – in the show, the filmmakers are characters. And when you're watching it, you're just realising, looking at it logistically, how fucking bizarre it is to have cameras in your face 24-7 immediately after your wife has tragically died and you're being accused of murder and you've got all these kids that are under the age of 20 that you're trying to, like, emotionally support and look after – the logistics of having a film crew in your house, in your face, filming every day for months is so insane. That is such an insane thing to it's do. It's such a crazy, yeah, exactly. It's such a crazy thing to say yes to. Like, that's what I was thinking when I was watching The Staircase. I was like, how are they already speaking to this man, like, one month after his wife has died? And I found um, sexy Todd. I was like, Todd, where is he now? And he's, <laughs> I feel really sad, but he's lost the plot. Oh, damn. And he now says he thinks his dad did it and he does these like long quasi white supremacist instagram video rants where he he says that he's made up a form of dance exercise and it's just him like running around in a car park (laughs) 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 he's like a yeah he's like a he's a drug and alcohol addict advocate (laughs) but advocate <laughs> like everyone user. in new zealand so yeah i know so i feel i feel bad i feel bad i just think it's again it's uh i don't it's not that similar to johnny depp but it just reminds me how we are so we are just willing to bend over backwards to try and exonerate men that we find charming in our culture yes. and there's so much evidence and we start we just ignore things that are in front of us and amber heard just says like a couple of th- I like I know she's saying some things that don't add up. We don't think she's this perfect human, but people will glom on to this small thing in terms of her testimony and be like, "See, this is proof she's a liar." And then you'll get all this stuff about Johnny Depp, and everyone's just suddenly blind. I know. I'm glad Our to see just a mess. that there's been. We were. <laughs> I don't want to say we were the first, but we were one of the first <laughs> to publicly. We're ahead of our time. We were wading into uncharted territory when we did our impassioned defense of Amber Heard. And then Clementine Ford jumped on the bandwagon. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Raven Smith. There's been a lot of articles since. And I was going to say to you, oh, we should cover all of these articles that are about the trial that are talking, you know, like, which women do we choose to believe and rah, rah, rah. And then I was like, wait, we've already done that. We talked about it before that. So, been there, done that. Been there, done that.
Okay, so I would like to uh, just let you know how much stress you caused me yesterday. Because, <laughs> so Grace goes to me, she, she puts on the dock a review of Harry's house. So Harry Styles' new album. She's like, it's been getting all these good reviews, like rah, 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 writes all these notes. I go on Spotify immediately while I was driving a car. I was driving a vehicle <laughs> and when you text me that. And so I'm trying to go on Spotify and get to Harry's house. And I was like, why can't I find it? Why can't I find it? Is it not on Spotify? Is he doing some weird like Apple Music release? And it's just not on Spotify. So then I get on Do the I internet. Need to download titles. Yeah, so then I get on the internet. I start searching everywhere. I've pulled the car over at this point. Can't find it. <laughs> I was just like, okay, I, I don't know. I'm just gonna have to- I'm sorry. I did this so like on. Was on the way not to pick up my it. sister's wedding dress for her 21st birthday. And I like, we were late for our appointment by 10 minutes. And I had to like, tell her I was on a meeting, but I was trying to find Harry Styles' album. And then I was like, oh okay, whatever. Lord. Just you're going to have to deal with this later. Then started looking <laughs> again last night. Couldn't find it. Posted on our close friends. Where can I get Harry's album? And then all these people were like, what? It's just not out. I was like, okay, Grace is, and you were flying, so you were offline and weren't responding. Yeah, I was like, I'm just going to download it before the flight. And then I realized just before I got on, but obviously just didn't think too much about it. You were having a meltdown elsewhere. Yeah. So then I, and then I was like, okay, someone give me Harry's album. And then all the girlies were like, it's not out yet, you dumbo. And then someone just said, here it is, (laughs) and and sent us the leaked copy. I was like, why are our listeners so iconic? So now we have a leaked Harry Styles album to review for you all for when it comes out. Because when does it come out? Apparently it was leaked like in April. And I don't know how he hasn't managed to get it taken down. It's kind of strange. So it comes out, oh, comes out tomorrow. So if we do a review yeah, it comes of it, out. It definitely comes out in the next couple of days. Yeah, if we do a review of it in this app, then it will be out when. Oh, brilliant! So yeah, but we can talk about. So I read the Guardian's review of the album, but it was mainly just talking about him before we go into the track listings, talking about him and just how impressive, which I think we all take for granted, how impressive and rare it is for like a boy band star to actually strike out on their own and do it really successfully. I think they said that he's the only really comparable person is Justin Timberlake. And I think the thing with Justin Timberlake as well is that Justin Timberlake was never cool like, we loved him as teenagers because we thought he was hot and listened to Future Sexy Love Sounds or whatever that fucking album was called. But it wasn't – he's kind of similar to that, but he's also added this new element where he's embedded in, quote, unquote, the culture in a really meaningful way while still making frothy pop songs. And the Guardian reviewer was saying there's some songs on this album which could literally be Ed Sheeran songs. Mm-hmm. And yet Harry Styles just feels he's making just good pop music, but he he feels as if he's making cool indie music like Phoebe Bridges or something just because of how good he is at making music videos, doing the fashion thing, presenting himself visually, his whole tour situation. It, like, elevates it. That's what I thought when we watched Dua Lipa where I was like, I think of her as being so cool. And then, as you say, she was singing Ring a Ring a Rosie. She was doing Ring a Ring a Rosie around in a circle. And then a huge, we didn't even talk about the lobster. This huge, <laughs> I know, we, all, we didn't want to talk about Huge blow lobster. up lobster was on stage for one song that no one acknowledged. It just popped up. It was massive. A giant yeah. lobster the size of like three houses. And <laughs> Dua was just singing and dancing in front of it. And her songs are just so silly. 
but because she's so cool yeah. and trendy and stylish. Like, I know, I know people don't think of her as being this kind of... I understand what you're saying with Harry Styles because people kind of look at him as, like, breaking the mold or being, like, the next prince or whatever just because he's... of his mm. style and his music videos and stuff. And I know we don't think of Dua Lipa in the same way, but I kind of... When I was watching her singing and dancing, I was like, this is so funny that she's this... She's deemed a cool girl, but what she's doing mm. is inherently so embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. And same with Harry Styles. He's, like, playing uncool, guitar. Yeah. I... I, I just did God's work before and listened to his album and wrote a, a review um, of my first listen of every song. And he's just playing a guitar and singing these like really silly lyrics. Yes. So the first one is called, is you will go through all the key tracks, but the first song is called music for a sushi restaurant. And it's really, again, I, I, I like his music. It's just like cute, lovely little tunes. And I was listening to it and there's just a bit where he goes, Scooby Dooby Doo. <laughs> Scooby Dooby Doo. Yeah. And then before we started recording, Grace told me that and goes, Scooby Dooby Doo. And I was like, I love you. <laughs> I love you. Scooby Dooby Doo, oh, I love you. Scooby Dooby Doo, I love the you. The episode name I'm is All Aboard Toot Toot. Riding all itself. Aboard the Harry Train. So yeah, then there's one called Boyfriends and that was a guitar ballad and it kind of reminds me of Dua Lipa's song, Boys Will Be Boys, because he's just like, boyfriends are they just pretending (laughs) oh that's a bit of a like cryptic he's yeah it's a song for the young thing to an easter egg to all the harry stands that are convinced he's gay oh true yeah and then there was the song called matilda which is like a cute another slow banger about a girl with a bad family and then I wrote, I'm ready for a watermelon sugar banger at this point. And then As It Was comes on, which is his single that's been out for ages. And at the start of it, some kids go, come on, Harry, we want to say goodnight to you. And I was like, is this Olivia's kids? He loves a little uh, sound bite from his personal life. I know. Cool, cool. So that's a- <laughs> cool, cool. <laughs> so that surprised me. And then... <laughs> Daylight and the next one, fine, no thoughts. I, I need to prop- properly listen to this again. Um, and then there's a song on there called Love of My Life, which I underlined. Love of my life. And he goes, baby, you were the love of my life. Maybe you don't know what's lost till you find it. Wow. You think this is a little ode to Olivia? Well, it, mu- it must be, surely. And then there's another song called Late Night Talking, which is another love song about how he can't get her off his mind and stuff and I was like that's quite crazy but I guess they've been together for quite a while and obviously are pretty serious people on the internet are so crazy there was this TikTok video of him and Olivia Wilde walking up a hill and he turned back to look at her and he was frowning a little bit and someone on TikTok was like see she just seems so annoying she's always like traipsing behind him and he's having to wait for her and I was like you guys are so fucking crazy (laughs) yeah TikTok needs to rein it in with the Olivia Wilde hate. Yeah, I know. Like the app does. I think it's just any of those, you know, they hate Hayley Bieber as well. Any of those boy yeah. boys, boy pop stars. I found a picture of the, sorry to go back to Johnny Depp quickly, but it just made me laugh. There was like some pictures BuzzFeed had taken of the Johnny Depp fans outside the court and it was just like the biggest fucking ragtag crew. And I was like, these are the people online that are dominating the discourse. Just like, 
a strange body of individuals. Yeah, I actually saw a girl, someone sent it to our Instagram and it was a girl on TikTok saying she found out the trial was just down the road and she like ran down and she was a Johnny Depp stan and all these freaks were standing outside and when his car came in, they sprinted up and he puts his window down and is being like, oh, thank you, thank you. And they were like shoving all these gifts and presents in and screaming and crying. It's probably their own like severed fingers and stuff. I was like, we need to, yeah, forget about this Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> He's kind of like a Brad Pitt where I'm like, have you even been in that much good stuff? I know Mr. and Mrs. Smith was amazing, but it's time to, <laughs> time to let it go. Johnny Depp had like, yeah, that like 90s. Oh, yeah, he was in that. Heyday um, of that Edward Scissorhands and Edward. And- oh, yeah, they're all the Tim Burton films. It's Tim Burton who's the real star yeah, of this. Yeah, the real. <laughs> He'll probably come out as like an abuser tomorrow, knowing men. So, yeah, what else? I haven't actually finished the album because we had to get on this call, but there's a song called Grape Juice. And then I was thinking that this album really does deserve to be listened to in the hot summer sun with the windows down, which is how I listened to Harry Styles' last album, which is when both of us were heartbroken. Yeah, it had that feeling. A Los Angeles summer. Yeah. Not a New Zealand rainy winter. Yeah, proud of him. And it said in that article he's so popular, he sold out 10 consecutive nights at Madison Square Garden, which is, when you think about that logistically, that's quite insane. The question is, do we think he would sell out more stadiums in Perth than Pink? Nah. Pink has this weird (laughs) chokehold on Perth. I don't understand it. It's like this weird little idiosyncrasy. I went past the stadium that she sold out, like, six back-to-back nights at. Um. We figured it out. I think it was 340,000 people went and Perth has a population of 1 million. So literally one in four people that live in the city went to see Pink. Yeah, I don't I don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited to talk about this insane tale that I was reading in Raptures yep. again at the airport. About this Vanity Fair. So Vanity Fair wrote this piece about this Grey's Anatomy writer called Elizabeth Finch. And it's not really doing the rounds in the way that Bad Art Friend is. I think maybe because it's more insane. Yeah, it's Bad Art Friend was like easier to digest or something. But this is this is a wild tale. Yeah. So Vanity Fair absolutely loves these kinds of stories. This is just how Vanity Fair yeah. always writes a story like this. This is, if you span a wheel to get their perfect story, it's like Grey's Anatomy, Ryder, f- fake cancer. Yeah. Shonda Rhimes. <laughs> Shonda Rhimes. But you know how they, Vanity Fair's always the one that writes these crazy stories that then get made into um, TV shows or whatever. I was like reminded, mm. I, I, I have forgotten how iconic it was that we had Alexis Nyers on our podcast. <laughs> I know. I saw Forbidden Fruit got her and I was like, oh, my God. And then I was like, wait, we interviewed her like two years ago. Yeah. We're so ahead of the of, of the game. And she had um, she, how she called up the Vanity Fair. <laughs> Nancy Joe. Yeah, screaming. She said I had on six-inch Louboutins in court <laughs> when I wore little kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, this is Vanity Fair is like, 
absolute love of a piece. So they did. It's also like a money. I didn't even think about this because you never think about making money as a writer. But if you wrote this, say you got this story, pitched it to them and they ran it and then um, Netflix optioned it, you would just get like $200,000 in cash or something and then money for every episode if it came out. Yeah. So this is what we need to focus on. A Grey's Anatomy writer, basically, Elizabeth Finch, she was hired by Shonda Rhimes after she wrote this piece about her battle with a rare cancer for Elle that went viral. And at the time, she was a staff writer for The Vampire Diaries. And she'd said, like, multiple times that her dream job was Grey's Anatomy. So she... Basically, in this LP, said she had this rare form of cancer with a really high mortality rate um, and was living with it and surviving. And so someone took that L piece to Shonda Rhimes and they hired her for Grey's Anatomy. Yes. And then she became, so she was actively living with cancer. So she said so she had a shaved head, she had a headscarf on and looked very sickly and pale all the time. And she became, in the writer's room, the de facto go-to person for all things cancer. And people kind of were so impressed with her story but also kind of stepped on eggshells around her because they were always so worried about her health that she kind of – I mean, I love some elements of this story. Like it says she would, like, evoke the cancer to get out of stories she didn't want to write and stuff. But then she would say, I have cancer, when she did want to write a big piece. Mm -hmm. Um, and she would disappear for weeks at a time to go get treatments and things, and then she would keep writing op-eds, updating people about details of her ordeal with illness. There were also two other cancer survivors in the writer's room, but they (laughs) eventually stopped saying anything because she was, like, the only one actively living with cancer, so any time one of them piped up with, like, one of their experiences, she shut them down. She was also given a special plush chair... She sat on in the writer's room that um, then and then she started every time she spoke, um, people were saying that usually in writer's rooms, it's kind of people talking over each other and everyone's like chiming in with ideas and you're kind of trying to get your voice heard. But whenever she spoke, everyone would be quiet. Um, And she also said that she'd she would whenever she was writing a storyline, she'd always say she was feeling a bit sick and get one of the other writers to, one of the other more senior writers to jump in and actually write it for her. And then she'd be the only one credited on the episode. Yeah. And then, yeah, so she wrote her story into Grey's Anatomy. So, yeah, one of the characters, Catherine Avery, played by Debbie Allen, gets diagnosed with it. She made the character say... I survived losing my mother before I even got to know her. Like, rah-rah, my father dropped dead on his way to church when I was 18. Yeah. I have survived racism. She, like, wrote a black character. Yeah. And then she also claimed she got <laughs> pregnant and had to terminate the pregnancy because it meant she would stop getting chemo, which would mean she would die. And then she wrote an article about those experiences as well. Basically, yeah, she... This went on for a long, long time of, like, her traveling to go and get chemo. She said that um, people would drop her at the hospital and see her go in, but, like, she wouldn't let anyone go in with her. Her family thought she was suffering from it as well. Everyone did. And now her ex-wife, Jennifer Byer, is saying she faked everything. So Jennifer wrote an email to Shonda Rhimes telling her this. And Shonda Rhimes seemed to be really close with Elizabeth Finch. She'd been personally advising her on things also Anna Paquin is involved in this 
to poor I know poor I Anna love. Paquin, Kiwi actress. Is Anna Paquin from New Zealand? Yeah. She's from here. Look gorgeous. I love her. Yeah. I know. I couldn't believe her little cameo in this tale. So basically, yeah, the story is this writer got a job at the Grey's Anatomy writer's room because she said she was actively suffering from this rare form of cancer. She wrote lots of storylines that were tied to updates on her own cancer battle that she was also writing op-eds about. She got married to a woman called Jennifer Byer. They're now getting divorced. Jennifer has five children and there's like a slight custody battle or like an access to children battle. And Elizabeth says that Jennifer's making is like lying because they're in an acrimonious divorce. And Jennifer, who was a nurse when she met her, has basically said that after they got married, she realized that so many elements of her story about her illness didn't make any sense. And while she eventually admitted to her and some of their family and friends that she had 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 cancer but had lied that she was in remission because she liked the attention, it then came out that there was a bazillion things in her life that she'd lied about. And some of it is really insane. Also, the crazy, really horrible part about this Jennifer Byer thing is – Elizabeth Finch met Jennifer Byer when she checked herself into like an institution and Jennifer Byer was there for PTSD because she'd been in a really abusive relationship with her ex-husband. And then Elizabeth Finch, who checked herself in under the name of Joe, which is one of her characters in Grey's Anatomy, then went and took Us. elements of Elizabeth's trauma and story and like really horrific, painful details of her life and wrote it into Grey's Anatomy or wrote it into her own life. So Jennifer Byer's ex-husband ended up um, dying by suicide and then Elizabeth Finch told Grey's Anatomy cast and crew that she had to have time off because her own brother had died by suicide. And that he had, she suddenly kind of came out with this story around the same time she met Jennifer Byer, that her brother had been abusing her, physically abusing her as a child, and a lot of the stories she was telling her friends and family about the abuse were copied exactly from stories that Jennifer Byer was saying that her husband had Mm -hmm. done. So she basically recast her brother, who by all intents and purposes seems to be like a nice guy who's been completely wrongfully accused. Um, retroactively accused him of all these horrific acts of abuse in childhood. Um, and her parents were kind of like, we don't understand, we're so confused, You like we never saw any of this, but kind of wanted to believe her. And she just took all of these elements of her partner's story and kind of, yeah, shoved them onto her own life. She also, which is so egregious, said to everyone in the Grey's Anatomy writer's room, that a friend had been killed at the uh, Pittsburgh Tree of Life synagogue shooting in 2017, which was like a hate crime against a Jewish place of worship. And she said that she was in the ground cleaning up the body. Yeah. And none of that was true. She didn't – I don't know if she knew anyone there, but I don't think she knew anyone there. And she lied that she was in there cleaning up and told everyone at Grey's Anatomy that she needed to go on a retreat because she had PTSD <laughs> from it, which is where she met Jennifer Byer. Yeah, and then she also said... You literally can't make this shit no, up. No, and then she also said that she kept getting re-traumatised when, like, the New Zealand mosque shootings happened. Like, anything. Yes. Like, when and Black Lives Matter happened, noise. she was <laughs> like, ah. I was like, oh, my God. This one is... 
I feel so bad for laughing at this, but this made me scream. No, but I was also thinking, like, I wonder if this hasn't made the rounds because it's such a weird story to get your head around. Like, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, she has, like, Munchausen's, but for herself, or, or, she, or she has some mental yeah. illness. But then I'm also like, she may do, but also there's, like, a very high possibility that she's just, a, like... She's doing this for attention. Yeah, yeah. She's like doing yeah. it for her attention. Yeah. She knows full well what she's doing and she's just getting away with it. And she said she said to Jennifer Byer, who her ex-wife who called her out, that she lied about one small thing and then loved the attention it gave her and then continued. And you actually can see how that could happen if you were a particular person who I don't know. Like at school, a Had girl no lied empathy, to me about yeah. being Britney Spears' cousin and she became the most popular girl at school. Tell you that. We all did it in childhood. There was a girl in my school, in primary school, who said that Rose from the Titanic was her great grandma. <laughs> I was so jealous. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but she said that she was so traumatized by the Tree of Life massacre that if someone ever mentioned guns in the room or if their pitch Stop. got quote unquote shot down, she dramatically <laughs> winced. <laughs> If someone said, we're going to shoot you down, she'd be like, oh, my God. She dramatically wins. I actually can't. She must have been so annoying to work with. Yeah, you just get the visceral energy of, like, who she is as a person. I think, like you say, it's one of those difficult things where you she's obviously, like, mentally ill in some capacity to lie at this level. But at the same time, it's like Anna Delvey was fucking fair game. Like, anyone else who uh, – fakes things and lies about things that have i would argue less consequences than this is considered absolutely free for all for the public to pull apart and discuss and doing things maybe because it's that serious it feels like less of a i mean i don't think it should be a spectacle i just think it's a like fascinating story about how i think it really highlights how we live in an era right now where trauma and um basically trauma where bad things happening to you is like social currency yes and gets you a following which leads to money which leads to jobs which leads to privilege and power and the kind of disparity between this woman who came from a relatively well-off background who went to a very good school who walked into a job in hollywood her being able to see that and use that to her advantage versus her partner, who is obviously uh, a single mother with five children, a nurse with an extremely violent ex-husband whose children were in and out of foster care, who's someone that genuinely does have no privilege and power and influence who actually went through traumatic things. It kind of shows you like the gap between performed trauma and what that can earn you versus real trauma if you had really been through all the things that elizabeth finch said she went through you couldn't sit and work in the gray's anatomy writers room full time you know because you would actually have all the stuff you were talking about and that when that's happening you can't go to work every day and also to be rewriting the story into characters so you put out this really funny excerpt where she said basically she'd start to say oh, you know, this is too traumatic for me to relive. And then, um, so she goes, according to someone, this is the piece, according to someone in the room, the conversation went like this. Finch, it would be so amazing to give Catherine my cancer, but maybe I shouldn't write it. It might be too triggering. Okay, we'll protect you. Someone else can do it. No, I can do it. (laughs) 
And like, (laughs) that's interesting what you say, because I think this is something me and you have kind of been discussing a bit off air recently is this kind of like trauma porn or something like people love to be close Mm. to something dramatic or something traumatic or some sort of drama where when something bad happens to someone you see people trying so hard to it kind of it kind of happened in a way where Notre Dame when Notre Dame was on fire and everyone was posting images of them being at the Notre Dame at one point in their lives I went to Paris once yes but (laughs) people just trying to be close like if someone's I don't know if someone dies it's like anyone who's actually close to that person is like really really upset and and trying to deal with this intense trauma and all these other people on the outside are trying to find ways to say that they were close to that person I don't know I haven't had many traumatic things happen to me but I remember when my mom was like really really sick I thought she was gonna die I was like when you're in the midst of trauma like that the last literally the last thing on your brain is like how can I editorialize this for social media how can I discuss this in a way that's going to be spinned in it like I just uh, this idea that you would be going through these constantly traumatic things and would be and I know everyone deals with things in in different ways and has their own experiences and it's very easy to judge someone from the outside but the idea that you would be sitting actively in a writer's room mining it for the best like emotional story whilst you're in the midst of it and living it yeah I think it is this kind of fucked up thing that's happened with like outpourings of um pain and trauma on social media has really led to this idea that every single period of something fucked up happening to you needs to be like twisted into a narrative like a neat little narrative um that is so dangerous yeah or something happening to other people i think that's a really gross side of gossip i don't know i just feel like i've been privy to this yes. recently this year where multiple times i've had people kind of like trying to talk about someone calls you up and says have you heard about yeah. this and you're like oh my god that's awful yeah i don't want to be... talk about yeah. it it's like drama <laughs> i know it's so weird but yeah so now finch has hired andrew brettler a high-powered la litigator who has represented prince andrew chris noth and uh man of the pod army hammer what a fucking trio to be joining when you like not hire him if that was his client list also she wrote in one piece the first piece she finch wrote about cancer publicly for the first time for a personal essay site called fresh yarn she she wrote um after it was clear her mother would survive because her mum had had this rare form of cancer she wrote the fat doctor i could tell wanted me to cry but i didn't I was like, what? Okay, Elizabeth Finch. What, you the fat doctor <laughs> wanted me to cry, but I didn't. And then Vanity Fair goes, the line was typical of what would become a hallmark of her style, Dr. Ma- Dr. Man Dumb Me Brave. So crazy. And then the Anna Paquin tea is that she says that she had to have oh, yeah. <laughs> I died at this. She said that Anna Paquin gave her a kidney. Yes. That is so crazy to say. Like, surely that th- this is the thing with these these serial liars like i think they just become more and more emboldened that is so easily disprovable but that you pulled out and wrote finch told Bayer it was a work trip she went to um hawaii meanwhile she told work she was going to hawaii because she had to reunite her dead brother's illegitimate filipino baby with the baby's mother in hawaii <laughs> like 
insane. But then when you think about it, you're like, Grey's Anatomy was such a perfect place for her because those story, like, they just would have loved that shit because those are literally what the storylines are like on Grey's Anatomy. I know. Anna Paquin. It's pouring with rain here. Sorry if you can hear it. A little bit of ambience for the pod listeners. Yeah, nice nice ASMR. Um, But, yeah, recommend reading that. I think it's very... I always feel so sorry for like telling people yeah. who get caught up in this. I feel sorry for someone. I feel sorry for Anna Paquin, for example, because she was friends with this woman <laughs> and let her borrow her home. So when um, Elizabeth Finch first flo- flew Jennifer Byer to LA, she was staying at Anna Paquin's house, and that's where they fell in love. And I'm like, poor Anna Paquin, having to be involved in this. I know. And Shonda Rhimes. And you tr- when you when Meredith you read Grey. the story, you're kind of it's like the staircase. Like when you read the story or you listen to it, you just think, God, would you not have red flags that this person is insane? But I guess when you're in the moment and you have ninety five percent normal interactions with them and then they say something crazy, you're like, Yeah, but this, 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 and this was true, or like they do have a job at blah, 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 or they did have this really rare form of cancer. So you just, I can just see how you'd kind of just have this maybe gut feeling something was a bit off and just put it to the side, I guess. But this just seems like so many crazy things to say that I'm just surprised the (laughs) alarm wasn't raised earlier. Jare. Jare. Okie dokie. That's it for us today. That's a wrap. I love being home, kind of. <laughs> a profound sentence. It's a weird. It takes you a minute to settle back into like. I know you've had this. Just settle back into this. Your the city and your like old life. It's a very weird thing because you you're like, oh, this would this could fully be my life, and this other place could fully be my life, and it feels a bit confusing. Yeah. I don't know if you find that. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. I was going to start another whole, another whole discussion and then realize we need to go on. I need to desperately eat some birch or muesli. I'm going to die of starvation. Nice. Um, okay. Bye. Okay. Love you guys. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.